0: So good day everybody and welcome to Spotlight Mining. I'm Liam Hardy and today I'm very happy to be joined by David Garofalo, FCPA, FCA I C D D, Chairman and CEO at Gold Royalty Corp. There's a lot of uh, a lot of letters there, David. How are you
1: doing? I'm good thanks, don't, don't let them fool you.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you're based in Vancouver at the moment. How's uh, how's Vancouver treating you?
1: Well, I, you know, we're coming through the pandemic uh, relatively unscathed. The economy's been pretty open here. But I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case across Canada. We're still a little bit uneven in terms of how we're dealing with the pandemic. And I'd say that's generally the the sentiment globally as well. The dynamic there, it's still very uneven recovery.
0: Yeah, and very challenging in Latin America this week. That's where most of the news is coming from uh, with COVID. While Europe's opening back up,
1: Canada's getting the vaccine, and South America... Um, yeah, struggling, I think. Yeah, indeed. And, and there are other parts of the world that are the same. And, and that's why I think um, central banks are going to be accommodative for the foreseeable future. Uh, I don't think this recovery is going to take hold globally for a number of years. And, you know, we were entering into this pandemic with anemic economic growth, and there was already an accommodative monetary policy globally, uh, really a race to the bottom in terms of debasing fiat currencies. And that's been uh, tremendously constructive for reserve currencies like gold.
0: Yeah. So um, most of our listeners will know, I know almost nothing about the, the global gold markets, about, uh, about currency exchanges. Uh, I pretty much just lick rocks and, uh, and comment on pretty pictures of shiny minerals. So maybe you could give us a rundown on, on your career and your background, and then maybe we'll, uh, we'll attempt some macro gold discussion. <laughs>
1: Well, I've been in operating roles for over 30 years uh, in the mining business. Most recently, um, ran Gold Corp uh, and led the merger with Newmont, which was the biggest gold merger um, in history back in 2019, ran Hud Bay on the copper side for about six years and before that spent 12 years at Ignico Eagle as CFO when they were going through a massive buildout phase going from one to seven mines. And then before that, I spent about eight years at InMet in various roles. Uh, and they were undertaking fairly significant mine development at the time in places like Turkey and Tunisia and in Canada, uh, Austria, Australia. Um, so uh, learned the business from the ground up. Um, now i switch switched off to the royalty side, but I think there's a, a good macroeconomic reason for doing that. I think um, the industry, both on the base and precious side, is going to have to start to rededicate itself to mine development and exploration. And uh, I would say the royalty companies are an important part of the ecosystem uh, to help finance that kind of development and exploration. So um, as I was saying to you before we came on uh, to record this interview, I think the sun is going to be shining on the exploration space for, for the next little while, just out of absolute necessity. Um, in, in the gold industry, for example, reserves are down about 40% over the last seven years. So. The industry really needs the junior explorers to be successful because those are the ones that do the grassroots exploration um, more effectively, frankly, and, and a lot of the seniors and mid-tier producers effectively outsource the grassroots exploration to the juniors, so they need the juniors to do well. And so I think there's going to be a rededication of capital into the junior space over the next little while to reverse that dynamic and reserves. There's a similar dynamic on the base metal side. Um, you know, copper's having its day right now. And I think we're going to need to see some exploration success on the copper side uh, to meet the demand requirements that are coming in the general economy for things like copper uh, as we decarbonize the economy, uh, as we lower emissions. Copper is an important part of that.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree with you. Um, You know, we should be investing more into into Juniors. The money should be coming down from majors. Uh, What do you think the major things that have stopped large companies, let's say Goldcorp or Agnico, (laughs) Uh, putting more into exploration uh, in the recent past?
1: Well, well, you know, in fact, when I was at Gold Corp, at Day and at Nico, we actually ran an incubator fund for juniors uh, within our organization, because we recognize that, you know, the juniors are far more effective at doing grassroots exploration than the established producers. Because when you're a producer, your job is to mitigate risk. It's obviously to finance and to develop new mines but it's to mitigate risk on the safety and the environmental side, um, capital cost risk, operating cost risk. It, the mindset is very much on uh, mitigating risk. Whereas with the juniors, uh, you require a mindset of embracing risk. So you're much more entrepreneurial. You're willing to swing for the fences. Um, and so it requires risk capital. Um, and so, you know, at various points in the cycle, the juniors have required companies in the major side to. Help incubate them to, to give them some access to capital when the capital markets were open to them, and so uh, that's why I think you're seeing um, juniors uh, playing an important role um, within the mining space to do that grassroots exploration. I think that grassroots exploration, even in, in peaks of the cycle, will continue to be outsourced to the juniors who who have the skill set and the mindset to do exploration more effectively. The established producers still do exploration, but by and large, it tends to be brownfield in nature. It's around existing infrastructure, existing mines, where you're looking to prolong mine lives and continue to leverage the infrastructure that's already been built out. And so I think the seniors and established producers are going to be much more effective on the brownfield side, but they very much require the juniors to do the grassroots exploration.
0: Yeah, and uh, you touched briefly on the royalties uh, in the introduction there and gold royalties. Uh, as an important source of funding for juniors uh, as they come to development. How do you think, um, you know, the gold royalty space has changed in the last uh, three to four years?
1: Well, there's been a proliferation of new entrants into the space, anticipating that the mining industry, the producers, uh, are going to have to refine their skills on mine development and exploration. And so they're going to require capital to do that. And the the, uh, royalty companies and streaming companies tend to have uh, better access to capital, at least access to the capital more cheaply than the established producers do, uh, because uh, the royalty players take top line risk. In other words, they get a percentage of the revenue. They don't take any of the operating or capital cost risk associated with building and operating mines. And so they generally tend to have higher multiples and uh, as a result, lower cost of capital. So they provide a conduit for the established producers and emerging producers to access capital more cheaply, and that's true on both the base and precious side. Because when I was running Hud Bay Minerals, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know from 2010 to 2016, we built Constancia in Peru, which was a two billion dollar project. We had to access the streaming market uh, to get uh, the capital we required to build Constancia, which is a generational asset. You know, 95 percent of the revenue from that asset is copper, but five percent of it was precious metals, uh, gold and silver. And because of that stream, we were able to raise $750 million from wheat and precious metals to finance the construction of Constantia. And so, you know, the the streamers do provide an arbitrage opportunity for investors to invest in those early stage opportunities without the inherent risk. And so, you know, Randy Smallwood who runs wheat and precious metals was at the time able to access capital at two times net asset value HUD Bay was trading at 0.5 times net asset value and he bought our stream for one times NEV. Everybody wins. We got our stream upgraded uh, within HUD Bay at twice the multiple and Randy then takes that multiple and doubles it again um, within his portfolio. So everybody wins. It's a huge arbitrage opportunity, lowers the cost of capital for the base metal producers while providing a rebate opportunity for the streaming companies. So that's why I've positioned myself as CEO of Gold Royalty today, you know, with... Um, 18 uh, royalties within our portfolio currently, and we've just raised $90 million in our IPO back in March. Uh, we intend to put that capital work in development stage opportunities to help stimulate investment in new mine development and exploration and take royalties back and realize that type of re-rate within our portfolio to the benefit of our shareholders.
0: Yeah, and you know, sticking with royalties again, um, there's a lot of new royalty companies, which uh, you touched on again, uh, a lot of the royalties I've seen them pick up don't really look great on paper. Uh, there seems to be a lot of competition over some very poor quality uh, projects, far too early stage, um, people putting a lot of money into things that might have no legs at all. Um, do you think that's just down to competition or do you think that's people running the market? Or?
1: You know, it, it definitely. I mean, there's there's been so many players in the space uh, of recent times. There is a... Or significant competition around royalties that come into the market. And so they've gotten bid up. And I think the opportunity for us to go royalty is to avoid those competitive processes, which tend to bid uh, prices up for royalties to really astronomical levels and really undermine the rate of return proposition. So what we're trying to do is get involved more in bilateral opportunities. And the way to do that is to leverage the experience that we have on the board, and the access that we have on the board management, Collectively in our board and management, we have over 250 years of mine operating experience. And I think it's important that I emphasize that operating experience. You know, I came from an operating background. Alan Hare, who's on my board, uh, came from operating background, 35 years, a prolific mine builder and operator as a metallurgical engineer. Um, most recently with Hive, he was my successor of Hive as CEO and my COO at the time. Uh, Warren Gilman, who runs Queen's Road Capital Lee Cushing's natural resource fund at Hong Kong. Again, 30 years of experience in the mining business. Amir Adnani, who is our co-founder. Uh, again, significant experience both on uranium and gold side. Uh, you, you know, Alistair Still, who's uh, uh, my director of technical services in the royalty company, but also the CEO of our parent company, Gold Mining Inc. Uh, he's a prolific mind builder and operator over 25 years of doing that with with Gold Corp and Placer Dome before that so you know colleague of mine that I was able to recruit into that role so it's it's I think that's what distinguishes us from the proliferation of royalty and streaming companies that have come into the market in the last little while is we've come at it from an operational perspective with a lot of access a lot of experience which gives us the access to bil- bilateral opportunities and by and large we try to avoid those competitive processes tend to bid these prices up to, to ridiculous levels yeah
0: i do like for the juniors to get those ridiculous levels uh <laughs> i've seen a lot of new yachts being bought in uh, down in uh, in, in uh, on the coast of Florida. But
1: we prefer to see the money go into the ground i mean yeah. it, uh, it, i know you're being facetious but but i would say that you know uh, when we're putting capital into early stage um uh, companies and getting royalties back we want to see that capital to go into the ground. You know, for example, we're looking at a number of opportunities on the royalty side that uh, will lead to, to restarts and brownfield projects and brownfield mines, uh, you know, old infrastructure, that's idle. Uh, if we can help finance the restart of a mine and get immediate cash flow, everybody benefits that money is going into the ground. So it's not definitely not going into the odds. And I would say that by and large, you know, the companies that we, we invest in, um, you know, our, with management teams that have an exceptional track record on the exploration and development side, we we spend almost as much time on the geological model as we do on the management team and the quality and the track record, and actually putting capital to work uh, on an accretive basis for all of their stakeholders.
0: Yeah. and uh, when you're picking up a royalty or go out shopping, <laughs> window shopping for royalties, uh, what are the main red flags that pop up, uh, even on the you know some of the best projects? What uh, sort of major issues do you tend to come across after your diligence?
1: Yeah, no, we we always focus on the geological model. um, And so we have to be convinced that, one, that the resource has been advertised is there. And and so we'll do a significant amount of due diligence around that. But we also want some comfort around the exploration upside because the beauty of the royalty uh, play is that... um, you're, you're not only buying leverage to the gold price, uh, but you're also buying leverage to the exploration success uh, of the operators. And so if they continue to grow their deposits geologically, our investors, our shareholders in the royalty company and gold royalty will benefit from that exploration upside. We don't pay for that. We pay for what's in the ground at the time and we maintain that optionality, not pay for it. And that's really what turns, um, you know, a good rate of return, double-digit rate of return in the investments and potentially triple digit rate of returns, um, significant exploration upside. that's what we're looking for. So, you know, if there are any flags that will come in our due diligence on the geological model. But again, as I mentioned earlier on, we want management teams to have exceptional practice both on the exploration development and operation side. We want people that have good technical skills, do the blocking and tacking extremely well. So we're investing as much in the people as we are in the geological model um, because that's what really brings those geological models to life. At the end of the day, is that skill set?
0: Yeah, maybe you have a case study of one of your projects. What's the most perfect purchase uh, <laughs> you've picked up of late with uh, with your portfolio?
1: Well, we have eighteen royalties in the portfolio right now, and and what I would say is um, uh, collectively that's twenty six million ounces of gold reserve and resource. That's as much as some of the mid tier producers have in their uh, resource inventory and we've inherited that through the spin out from gold mining and, um, what's exciting about that portfolio is it's going from inventory to incubation and, and what i mean by that is you know amira dany discovered or founded excuse me gold mining about a decade ago and picked up you know those, those 12 projects that underlie the 18 royalties uh, at about 10 cents on the dollar at the bottom of the cycle, and kind of waited the cycle out. Really didn't put any money into the projects because he wanted to see the gold price start to become more firmly entrenched on the upside, and it has. And when I came on to run the royalty company and spin it out, um, you know, I insisted and Amir agreed that we bring in a new management team at the gold mining level that has uh, a track record of actually de risking and developing projects. And that's how we were able to recruit Alistair in as the new CEO. And what's exciting for me is he's now laying out new resources, new budgets on each of these projects. He's putting money into them and de-risking them and getting them re-rated in the marketplace within gold mining's portfolio. And as gold mining gets re-rated, gold royalty corp will get a re-rating in its royalty portfolio on each of those assets. And that's the opportunity. So there's a lot of organic growth inherent in the portfolio that we inherited through the spin-out in gold mining. Um, and now we're and now with $90 million in treasury that we raised in the IPO back in March, uh, we have the capital to go out and diversify into more counterparties, into other operators and other deposits, uh, hopefully with nearer term cash flow that will complement the significant mineral endowment we inherited from the spin-off and gold mining. We
0: always like cash flow. thats uh, <laughs> I don't think enough companies target actually making any money. Uh, We'd well, like nice to it, sell it, some it, metals it, for it, a profit, right?
1: Yeah, look, the beauty of the royalty business is we have a very small footprint in terms of GNA. and um, And I could run, you know, we have half a dozen people, not all of them full time, by the way, half a dozen people running this business. And I could increase the size of the business tenfold, we wouldn't have to add another head. And so that means every dollar of new cash flow that we acquire on the royalty side goes entirely to the bottom line for our shareholders.
0: Yeah. So I was scrolling through your LinkedIn profile earlier, um, doing a bit, of, uh, a bit of bit of stalking before we chatted. Uh, you're a director of the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, is that right?
1: That's right. yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah. So I suppose I had a question. A lot of uh, executives come through the mining industry and get bogged down, weighed in very deep. How do you sort of find time to keep a level head and take time out for the orchestra and for, for your
1: hobbies? Um, well, look, I, I think I've always had a reasonably good balance in my life between work and uh, volunteer activities. I, I was um, very deeply involved with the Mackenzie Health Center in Toronto when I was um, working in Toronto for you know almost twenty-five years before I moved up to Vancouver. Um, I, I think uh, being integrated into the community is an extremely important part uh, and responsibility of what an executive does, an effective executive does. Um, and really joining the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra board and also on a volunteer basis, the Vancouver Board of Trade Board here in Vancouver, uh, to me is an important part of integrating myself into the community and making me a more effective executive. And so I think that balance is absolutely a necessity um, and, and a responsibility for all of us in the mining business.
0: Yeah, and I think we all know that uh, Vancouver's community without sand mining is uh, kind of intertwined with funding and, and the same people involved in lots of projects. Uh, It's a beautiful place to be, yeah. So, David, uh, thank you very much for joining us at Spotlight Mining today. It's been a pleasure to chat.
1: Likewise, Liam. Thanks so much
0: for having me on this morning. Yeah, and I look forward to uh, pitching you some of our projects in the near future. (laughs)
1: Look forward to hearing more.
0: Have a great day. Cheers.
1: You too.